So this morning, the um, sermon is from Colossians 1. And the focus is on uh, growing, growing disciples, growing believers uh, toward more maturity, developing character. <clears throat> and I'm sure, I'm sure you're aware of this and would agree that all of us uh, have room to grow. And we will do that throughout our life. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure what to say about eternity. Uh, how much of eternity will involve growing, maturing, uh, becoming uh, fully who God intended us to be? I'm not sure, but I am sure it will be okay. And so in this life, we, we have room to grow. And uh, I'm taking this from Colossians 1, and then uh, after I have looked at Colossians 1, I want to talk about um, a framework in the church that we might um, be able to use to uh, help each other grow. I want to focus on that at the end. <clears throat> so these verses here, in these verses, Paul, Colossians 1, Paul focuses on striving. Uh, he, he says that he's striving. The striving he does for the Colossians. Uh, and, and why he's striving and what this striving involves. And uh, <clears throat> that might bother us, the idea that uh, the Christian life involves striving, or um, uh, actually the word means uh, agonizing, putting forth a lot of toil and effort. And, and the, he talks about uh, the goals he had for them, and why he was in this um, intense effort. So I want to read here. Um, I didn't bring my normal Bible. <laughs> uh, let's see. Beginning in verse 9, Colossians 1, 9. For this reason... And the reason, the reason is that he heard of their faith uh, in maybe verse 3. He heard of their faith, he heard of their love, he heard of their hope. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled, filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, 
for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And then down... Um, to find my place here. Uh, verses 24, beginning in verse 24. <clears throat> I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To the end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and so on. And so the verse up here is uh, two verses there, verses 28 and 29 that uh, kind of summarized Paul's effort. So <clears throat> in verses 9 through 11, and I talked about these in a previous sermon, Paul gives his goal as the goal of his prayer, prayer for them. He prays for them, and, and there's a purpose to his prayer. And I believe it's the same purpose that we have when we um, think about other believers and, and the need that we have to grow, to grow in these ways. And he's praying for them in the ways that he hopes they grow. And the first one is that they might be filled with the knowledge of God's will. He's praying that for them. Okay, let me back up. So what I'm saying is the things that he's praying for them, the things that he hopes for them to experience is the things that we hope we experience and we hope that others around us, other believers experience so that we might be filled with the knowledge of God's will. That they might walk worthy of the Lord 
And of course, this is talking about how people live uh, in very practical ways, how they move around, uh, literally maybe how they walk. But how they walk humbly and obediently is the idea. So Paul's goal for them is that they please God by walking worthily. And, and Paul says this is done as we do four things. He mentions four things. And these four things are bearing fruit, every good work, or, or every kind of goodness, or every goodness of every kind, uh, goodness in every area of life. This is bearing fruit. <clears throat> this is uh, walking worthy of the Lord. And uh, the second one is increasing in knowledge of God, which uh, sounds like a repeat of his desire that they are filled with the knowledge of God's will, but that they grow in their knowledge of God. And uh, we know, I believe we know, that, that knowledge of God is the source of truth, as we know God, who he is, and uh, his character, and what he wants for us, this is how we know how to live. So increasing in the knowledge of God, uh, and that, that is, uh, all, it always has, knowledge of God always has practical application to the way we live. So our understanding of of God affects the way we live. The third one, being empowered, being strengthened. Uh, And and this is not just um, some radical, um, I don't know how to say, overpowering power. This is strength that sustains always in every situation. It's not just power that runs over everything, but strength that uh, equips us in the, in the moment of testing that we can stand. So being empowered. And the, the fourth one is giving thanks. So it's bearing fruit, increasing in knowledge, being empowered, and giving thanks. This, this is the way we walk worthy or worthily. Okay, the third purpose, the first was be filled with knowledge of God's will, walk worthy is the second. The third is uh, that we may present each person, and I think the King James says perfect. And the, the idea is not sinless perfection. It is uh, maturity. Present each person mature or the idea is complete. Uh, it's the idea of uh, something reaching, achieving uh, its created goal, the desired end. And it's, it's not speaking of perfection as we think of flawless and... and uh, 
perfect in every respect. It's mature. So the goal, the goal here for each of us is to become more mature, and we will continue in that process throughout life, and, and I believe uh, it will be completed in the next life. That's my view. So God created each of us uh, for a purpose. Uh, he had a goal in mind. Uh, it included, his purpose for us included uh, not only productive kingdom work, but becoming a mature person, the, the person he intended us to be uh, apart from sin. And this is his goal, and this is what he's working toward. So this, this is what Paul is saying is his goal in his prayer and his goal in his ministry with people is that, that they might be presented in the end as mature, grow toward maturity. So then, beginning in verse 24, I'm skipping a few verses here, uh, I'm focusing here on his striving for them. <clears throat> and uh, in these verses, Paul talks about the ministry he was called to, and he talks about it, um, well, let me back up. The ministry he was called to, it's like saying the service he was called to, the way, what he was, how he was called to serve. And he talks about this ministry or service as, as a stewardship, a dispensation is King James' word. And it, it has the idea of stewardship, to be a steward for God. To, to, God has given, Paul says, God has given me uh, a household, a, a, a kingdom, if you will, a territory, physical space and whoever's there and whatever's there and whatever responsibility he has um, uh, if you could think about it as um, I don't want to single people out but so if Nate has a business and Gabriel has work and whatever is under your hand to do that you're responsible for, that, that's your stewardship. You have stewardship over this stuff. And so a steward is the manager of whatever is in his care. He's the manager of a household uh, according to the rule of the master who gave him this work. And, and uh, so I want to say both, both the ordained and non-ordained are stewards. Every believer is a steward, and we may have different stewardships, but we each are a steward, and, and we have been given tasks by God, and this is what Paul is saying. He has a stewardship. And he says that within this stewardship and responsibility, he is suffering and striving for the church, for God's people. 
And he says that, that his sufferings for the Colossians, uh, I believe the King James says, fills up what is behind, which we probably don't know what that means. It means that Paul's suffering for them is completing uh, the sufferings of Christ for them as if the sufferings of Christ are not all the sufferings that are involved in a person's complete salvation. Okay, take a deep breath. (laughs) Okay, did you hear what I said? Uh, Christ suffered for us, and we can't suffer what he suffered. We can't save people. Uh, we, we We don't go get on a cross, Jesus' cross, uh, so that we can shed our blood for the sins of people. No. But there are, there are things that need to be done that, that will result in suffering and, and pain and trouble. And Paul is saying that he, he is suffering and filling up what is lacking or uncompleted of the afflictions of Christ. And Paul rejoices because he can suffer for for the sake of Christ's body, the church. Paul says his suffering is related to Christ's suffering. So then in verse 29, he says, I labor. And uh, the word labor there has the idea of wearisome toil. Uh, it it's, uh, has the uh, the word has the idea of striking and beating. Uh, so salvation does not deliver us from wearisome toil. Now I'm sorry, you know I'm hoping that your uh, work and toil is not totally wearisome, but mine isn't all the time. Sometimes I really enjoy it, but. We, we are not in salvation. We are not delivered from the mundane, from the common, from the everyday, uh, from, from the repetition of, you know, whatever these things are like washing dishes and sweeping the floor and, and whatever. There, there is labor. There is toil. And this, this is true about um, praying for people, anything we do, in life that that's good it involves toil and uh, sometimes wearisome that's why we like to go to bed at night i suppose get some rest and then he says i strive and uh, i like this word <laughs> because uh, the greek word spells agonize i agonize now, I know, I don't like to agonize. You don't like to agonize, but that's what that means. He says, I strive and agonize. I have intense exertion. 
And it's the same word in verse 29 and in chapter 2, verse 1. The same idea. I agonize. It's, it's the same word that Paul uses in 2 Timothy 4, 7, where he says, I have fought the good fight. It's the idea, I have agonized the good agony. Fault and fight in that verse are the same word, just one's a noun, one's a verb. And so I fought the good fight. I've agonized the good agony. So I strive. I'm striving. So the goal cannot be reached apart from uh, the full expenditure of one's energies. And this, this is not a task for the uncommitted, for the faint-hearted, for the lazy, for the indifferent. And, and I know we need to rest. We do need to rest sometimes. But this, this, this is a call to engage our energies in, in the work of the kingdom, in the work of, as Paul was, uh, his struggle here he's talking about is in blessing these Colossians and encouraging them and instructing them. And the struggle, the struggle to reach the goal requires more than exertion. It also requires uh, the denial of all that hinders the goal. <clears throat> I think we all know this. It involves uh, surrender. It involves uh, facing obstacles and dangers and seeking God in them and surrendering to him and being willing to suffer in the midst of things and uh, seeking to grow. And I'm not trying to make you tired and discouraged this morning because uh, there's that reminder further on that uh, God energizes us in this fight, this striving. The goal for which we fight is more than personal. According to Paul, the fight is also to save others. It's also to help others, to bless others, and this is the great agony. So I suppose you know this, that you've learned this, that um, any um, any time you need to grow, any time someone else needs to grow, um, in whatever area you and I are not uh, I don't want to use the word perfect, are not complete in whole. In any way that we are not complete in whole, we cause um, agony and pain to other people. You do know that. I mean, that's true. <clears throat> I'm not trying to guilt anybody. I'm just saying this, this is how life is. And it, it's okay. It has to be okay. And so we are, we are more than what is wrong with us, more than the brokenness that is agonizing to others. We are more than that. That is true. Because Christ lives in each of us. And so this is what Paul says too here. In verses 26 to 7, 27, he says the message that he shares is a mess. It's the mystery. 
the mystery that has been revealed. It's not a hidden mystery anymore. It was hidden in the past. Now it's revealed. It's obvious. The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ lives in you. He lives in his people. And uh, I'll throw this in as I go by, that, that one of Paul's points here, which may not be too obvious, is that Christ lives in Gentiles. It's not just the Jews who have been called, it's Gentiles too. So he lives in his people. And this is a union of fellowship, that Christ is present with his people as they fellowship with him and as they uh, worship him uh, individually and corporately. Christ is with his people as they live from day to day. Christ is with his people when they are together. And this is not only a union of fellowship, it is a union of obedience. And Christ is present with his people as they suffer and um, die to sin and seek his face and arise, rise with him in the moment of temptation. And uh, this happened at the cross, and this happens in our life, every day, every moment, in our yielding, in our worship. So then verse 28, Paul talks about the methods he uses, and uh, they are preaching is one, proclaiming Christ. That's a fairly broad term. The second one is warning. Uh, the idea of correcting, uh, <clears throat> correcting through an appeal to the mind, the will, the emotions, the whole person. Um, uh, talking about what needs to change and uh, how to change. Um, warning. And then teaching is the last one he mentions here. Uh, instruction in the word of what is right, uh, how, to, how to do right, what is right to do. And uh, this, this teaching is to be done wisely. It's teaching that understands what is right and, see how's, and it sees how this truth, this right, applies in the circumstances or the person's need. And so this, this is how Paul says he uh, grows disciples. And this is how we grow, and it's how we help others grow. Then Paul talks about his energy, the agency, the source of energy or power by which something is done, by which he did these things, did what he's talking about, um, according to God's power, which is being worked in me with power. <laughs> you know, that almost sounds like Paul didn't know quite how to get it said, so he just kept using the word power. <laughs> so he says, I strive according to his energizing, which is being energized in me with power. That's literally. I strive according to his energizing, which is being energized in me with power. Uh, <clears throat> so here's one of my reflections that uh, 
maybe some or maybe even much of the reason for my, our, whoever, uh, failure, inability to bring people to greater maturity. Uh, maybe it's that we aren't working as much in the power of God as we are working in our own strength. I think that's possible. I've done that at times. Uh, a failure to um, help them be connected to God, the source of power, to Christ, the source of uh, change, the source of deliverance. And Paul doesn't say here how to get this power, uh, but it's rooted in prayer and in surrender to Christ, the work of Christ in us. So now I want to make a few comments here about, about a framework where this can happen in church life. And I, I don't have the bulletin here with me, but I, I think you have a statement there. Do you belonging relationships are the missing building block? Do you have that? For emotional and spiritual growth toward maturity. So Colossians 1 uh, and many other passages give us a picture of Paul expending his energies, preaching, admonishing, teaching people. Uh, I won't turn to this right now, but 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 to 12. You should read that. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 to 12, where Paul talks about how he has loved them as a mother loves her children, and he has uh, been with them as a father, both mother and father. Uh, and then Acts 28, I was struck by this this morning. Acts 28, uh, while Paul was under house arrest, it says that he received many people, many. He received people at his lodging. Uh, individuals and small groups, and uh, for at least two years, two years, he's he's in house arrest, and he can't go anywhere. He may have had, uh, he may have been chained to somebody, but he had freedom. He had full freedom to talk to anybody that came, and people would come. Uh, one, two, more than that, they would come. And um, so the question I want us to consider is, what opportunities do we have in the life of this church to grow relationships and engage in people's lives uh, in the way Paul did, uh, in the way people in the Bible did? How, how, what opportunities do we have? Uh, relationships cannot grow and engagement in people's lives cannot happen unless people spend time together. And I think this is one of the challenges. We, we don't live in a time like we did when I was young. Pardon me for <laughs> in, a former in a former life in the good old days, you know. No. Well, I don't know how good the old days were, but we did live a little different than now. <clears throat> and... Um, Spent a no number of days every fall filling silo with uh, Robert's family and Mary Sue's father, 
uh, and the youngins. <laughs> we were all young. Um, so my point here is that uh, change requires more than just telling people what what is true and how they're wrong and how they should change. All of that is helpful and necessary, but I believe, I am, I am convinced that, that a major factor in, in people changing is the kind, is whether or not they have belonging uh, relationships with people that they trust, people they uh, respect, people they spend time with. This, this is a big deal. And uh, the lack of that is really a major hindrance to people growing up to be mature adults. Growing up, well, being able to grow. And uh, seeing <clears throat> Seeing examples that they admired, that that uh, they observed. <clears throat> I, I want to say one thing here. <clears throat> I'm not going to give the examples, but I, I remember two times in particular uh, being over at Silophilin uh, time. Yes, it was Silophilin time, and uh, being with. Uh, Mary Sue's father and uh, others and and observing him uh, behave how he behaved in very uh, difficult situations and and I was um, I I was standing there I can still see myself. I was standing there and like, okay, what's he going to do? And I was watching this. And uh, <laughs> let's see. He might have been 40 years old at the time. I probably was 16. I don't know what that made him. He was very calm, he was very mature, he was very thoughtful. He did say a few things, but it was very impressive. And so I learned, I learned something about how to live by watching that, and this is what I mean. <laughs> I didn't even think about it when I started this story, that that happened during Silophilin. Happened during Silophilin. So the, the importance of relationships. So there, there are, I want to say a few things here yet, and then I'm going to sit down. So there are opportunities in the life of the church for people to be together and, and uh, talk to each other. And th these are things like sermons, okay? That's a large group. Sermons, Sunday school, uh, what others, okay? But... I'm going to say that I don't think those kind of large groups uh, offer the same opportunities for people to be 
uh, honest and share what is going on in their life. There's no time for one thing. Sorry about that. See what time it is here. By the way, the clock wasn't turned up. I can talk another hour. <clears throat> that those kind of large group settings do not provide the same opportunity for uh, talking about one's life and one's struggles and uh, how how I wish how I wish I could be different. Someone told me that yesterday. I really wish I could be different, but I don't know how to do it. There wasn't anybody here. And I get that. That's probably where a lot of us are sometimes. So, opportunities, smaller groups. So, that's, um, that's why I have those several questions there at the end, and I'm not going to explore them further here this morning. But uh, the Lord bless you in all of this. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you're alive today and that you're present in our, um, in the work we do in your kingdom. Whatever you've called us to, you are present and empowering us as we turn to you and trust you. And I pray you would give us a vision for how we can uh, love and care for and engage and let others engage with us, um, our brothers and sisters. So bless us as we contemplate these things and uh, direct us together in, in uh, learning how to live together well with one another. And uh, thank you. Amen.